You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Happy Sunday, everybody. Good to be with you. Um, My name is Riz, the pastor here at Reality Honolulu. If I have not yet met you, glad that you're here and welcome and love to meet you if I haven't in person. Uh, We are in this series called The Miracles of Jesus, and we're in week four of that, and we're going to pick up once again highlighting one of the miracles recorded in the Gospels. And if you've been with us the last few weeks, You'll know it's been super awesome and powerful, and we're going to be doing this for the next few months, actually all the way up to summer, is that we're just highlighting something, a a story, a miracle, something that Jesus did in the Gospels, and I think we're looking at like 16 of them over the next few months. There's more than that. We're just taking a few, and we're doing this because what what it's hopefully going to do, and it has done, and it will do, is really give us a window into the heart and the character of God through the person of Jesus. I know that for a lot of us, we've read about Jesus, maybe we've read the Gospels. What's what's neat, though, is that each and every week, we're going to see something, a story that Jesus did, ranging everything from turning water into wine to healing every kind of sickness and disease to walking on water to raising people from the dead. These are historical accounts of Jesus actually doing these things. And the hope is, is that not only would we be reminded of how incredibly amazing Jesus is, like we'd be blown away at the person of Jesus, but also we would see the significance of that in context of, of what happened. But even more so, we would say, well, how does it apply to me here and now? in Hawaii in 2023 as a believer in my workplace or with my family or with my neighbors. It's one thing to just be oohed and awed by Jesus. That's good. That's the start. But we could leave and then nothing could really connect, right? But the whole point, why we sit ourselves under the Bible on Sunday mornings and we read it and study it and pray over it is so that it would connect and it would change us. It would change us. We then would now model the character of Jesus. And today, I will say, it's a challenging one because of the way Jesus responds to a certain person and what he did for that person in context sake. It's very applicable, but it's very challenging. And it's really hard to walk out. But I think that's why we're here. Not only do we see Jesus in his fullness form, the heart of God, But then we then would take that and walk that out. And so if you have missed the last few weeks, I can't highly recommend you go and check them out through our website and Apple Podcasts. But without further ado, we're going to get into today's miracle. And so if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. I'm going to be reading it on the screen, but it is a great habit and practice to open up and and read the Bible on your own to just get used to it so it becomes very normal, us reading our Bibles. And so again, if you have hard copy or a Bible app, you can go ahead and follow along. But Matthew 8, 5 through 13, specifically looking at how Jesus heals this Roman centurion's servant. 
Uh, This is our text today. We'll read it and then we'll pray. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer, a centurion, came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I myself am under the authority from my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. They do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. But many Israelites, those from whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into outer darkness where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the Roman officer, Go back home. Because you believed, it has happened. And the young servant was sealed Uh, healed that same hour. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and thank you that we have it in front of us today to read, to glean from, to to hear from. And Lord, we, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me, that it wouldn't be my words, but it would be your words, and that you would not only show us the significance of this moment, but then how it applies to us. And God, we desperately want to walk this out in our own lives. We want to be more like Jesus after today. Would you do that, Holy Spirit? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So how we're working through these miracles as we read them and study them is this. We're working through each miracle by looking really at three things. First is you know, what characters or players are in this scene or this story? Who's who's Jesus speaking with? Who's he healing? But it's really important that each time we bring up the context within the culture that this is happening at the time that it was written so that we can really understand what a big deal even today's miracle was. And again, if you don't look at context, if you don't look at cultural significance or social significance or political or religious significance, we're going to miss a lot of the point. Or you just won't be as, it won't be as big a deal because we just missed why it is really a big deal. And then again, from all of that, once we kind of understand who's involved and the significance, then we're going to see, wow, this is actually really applicable and we can really uh, learn and glean from it all. And so let me set the scene of who's here in our text this morning. The biggest kind of player right here is the centurion. This is a Roman officer, right? In Greek, centurion, by definition, refers to 100, century, right? Centurion. And so this centurion was a Roman soldier and officer 
who had authority to lead 100 Roman soldiers. This Roman officer was not Jewish, but he was a Gentile who at the time, at the time, Israel had been taken over and was a part of the Roman Empire. And a century of soldiers, or a centurion that was leading a hundred soldiers, was said to be the very means by which the Roman Empire spread into the world. You know, we always think, oh, it's Caesar and it's the big Roman Empire. But how the Roman Empire actually spread how big it did and how it overtook and oppressed all these countries was at the hands of Roman centurions just like this. So the reason why I say that is this Roman officer whose servant is sick, and there's a hundred other men in the century of soldiers, the scene is he's entering into a Jewish crowd. The reason why I say that is this Jewish crowd would see this centurion as his oppressor. It's not a friend. This is not like, hey, let's just live together in the country together. Like, you took over my country and my people, and you're imposing taxes and rules and laws that are not mine. This is why this story is really significant. Because of the the scene already, there's incredible tension happening. Again, we're not there 2,000 years ago, and we're not, you know, Jewish in that being oppressed by Romans. So the reason why it's like it's really important is to set ourselves in that scene when we look at that this morning and how Jesus responded and how the centurion, what he did. And so this is why the story is significant. I have five points. I'm just going to work through it and kind of work through this story because it's, in, it's incredible. It's an incredible story. Number one is the heart posture of this centurion. Okay, because he was Roman, he was a Gentile, he's coming to Jesus, a Jew, for help. It's already a really big deal, like I just said. Because at the time, Jews and Gentiles did not get along too much, and that's putting it mildly. Let alone a Roman soldier who by symbol represented social, religious, and political oppressor of the time, to the Jews in their promised land that God gave them. But look at the posture of this Roman soldier. He came to Jesus pretty humbly because he didn't have to. He was the one in charge. He had all the power in that culture. As we'll see, he could have done anything, and he did, to the people of Israel. But the centurion came up real real humbly. Even would say, I'm not even worthy of you, Jesus, to come into my home. If I was a Roman soldier, and my boss, the centurion, said that to a Jew, I I would have trouble not correcting him. Yes, you do. Yes, you're worthy. You are a spear of Caesar. We're the Romans. It's not what he did. It's not what he did. Look at his posture. The centurion comes with humility. He says he's unworthy. And why? It's because he's recognizing the power and authority of Jesus. 
the heart posture of this centurion is he knew very much so who Jesus was. He believed very much that Jesus had a lot of power and a lot of authority, in this case, to heal his servant in his company. So this Roman soldier could have acted a lot different, but how did he approach Jesus? With humility, being humble, recognizing who Jesus was. Number two is the immediate response of Jesus. So look at Jesus' response. Immediately, no questions asked, what is Jesus' response? This Roman centurion comes, Jesus, come heal my servant. He says, I will come. There's no hesitation. There's no questions Jesus asked. He said, I will go. Again, in context, he, he went so regardless of this Roman centurion representing all things bad against his God's chosen people. Right? This is God's chosen people. Like Israel is the apple of his father's eye. And this Roman oppressor says, come heal one of my own. Jesus could have easily just said no. Could have asked a bunch of questions. Could have given him a hard time. Could have made, could have made it hard for him. What is the heart of Jesus your servant needs healing. I'm going to look beyond everything. I'm going to look beyond our political differences, our religious differences, our social differences, and I'm just going to have compassion and go heal that person. That's inc that's a, it's incredible. Jesus looks beyond all of this, and the text even has some immediacy to it, and it points to his compassion of this servant being paralyzed and in terrible pain. Because I think for you and I, if we were in the crowds with Jesus and we saw a Roman centurion come and want to pull our like, Lord and Savior away, we would have been like, dude, Jesus, don't do it. I think a lot of us would be like, are you kidding me? You're helping the Romans? You're going to go with the Romans what they say? I think most of us would, in the context, would say that. It's not what Jesus does. But then it gets a little crazier because the centurion's faith, number three. Look at the man's response, right? The centurion comes to Jesus with humility and says, Jesus, come heal my servant or heal my servant. And Jesus says, I will come. But then what is the, what is the centurion's response to Jesus saying, I'll come? He said, no, you don't even need to. Jesus, you're good enough that you can heal him by not even being near him. Like, who says that to Jesus, right? Jesus says, I'll come. You're like, no, you don't even need to. I believe that you have so much authority and so much power to heal that you can just say the word and you will heal. I mean, wow. Right? This centurion so believed in Jesus' authority and power that he equates it to his own as an officer to his own soldiers. Did you, did you pick that up? He says, I, in rank, I have superior officers. They tell me to do something, I do it. I have a hundred soldiers under my command, and if I say go, they go, and if they say come, they come. In the same way, because in 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 in. in you know, military terms. I have power and authority 
Just by my word, things will get done. In the same way, Jesus, you have the power and authority to heal just by your word. <laughs> I think it's not a, it's not a big jump to, to understand what Jesus does next. In, the, in our text, Jesus, like, stops, and he pulls the whole crowd into this conversation. So that's number four. And he gives about the gnarliest warning to the Jews you could ever give. This is a Jewish crowd. This Roman comes. This Roman has a lot of faith in Jesus. Jesus is like, I'll come. The Roman ups his ante and says, no, you don't even need to come. You're that good. Jesus said, stop. Jesus turns and uses this dialogue as an example and a super sober warning to this Jewish crowd. And essentially says, do you see this man's faith? Did you just see the encounter I just had? It's incredible. And then he says, I haven't seen this type of faith in all of Israel. That's a huge slight to this Jewish crowd. Like, think about it. Like, they've been with Jesus, they've been around him, and Jesus is saying, this type of faith that this Roman has is unlike anything I've seen with all of your people. They're like, oh gosh, this is not good. Because his point was that, that they are the people of God. They are the chosen people of God. They should be the, way, the ones leading the way. They, through the nation of Israel, the good news of Jesus Christ is to spread to the whole world. And so Jesus and this Jewish crowd, this Gentile comes in, this Roman oppressor comes in, and he has the faith to believe. And so he's using this as an example. And Jesus even says, Gentiles from all over the world are going to be saved and know my Father and be alongside him in heaven. And for the Jews, you know, at that time, all they were really looking, about, looking for was a Messiah to save them from Roman rule. They were, they, were, they were looking, you know, pretty insular at themselves. They just wanted to be their own nation again. They just wanted their own political and social and religious freedom. But Jesus came to do a lot more than just that. He came to save the whole world, Jews and Gentiles alike. So he gives them their stern warning. And he's using this as, a, as an example to highlight the faith of this Roman centurion. And what happens, the fifth point here, I think of this story and how it ends is the healing of the man. Right? There's this whole dialogue. There's this whole sober warning that Jesus gives the Jews. He highlights the Roman's faith. And then in the end, Jesus heals this man. And what he says in verse 13, I think it's significant, if you want to look at it again. So at the very end of our story, it says that Jesus, you know, went back and said to the Roman officer, go back home. And he says, because you believed, it has happened. The healing of this servant was directly related to the faith that this centurion have, that Jesus, you can do it. And he was healed. And it says that same hour, right away. So some pretty, it's a pretty incredible story, but what, what can we glean from this? What can we glean from this? I, I think, number one, it's, 
this is, this is, I'm going into a couple more points, by the way. My five points are done. Now it's application. I got two points. If you're taking notes, you're like, where is he going? I had five points, why the story is significant, and now I got two points for application. Maybe three, but kind of two. Number one, get ready because it's going to be kind of hard to swallow. Number one, the thing that we can glean from is the compassion Jesus had even on the oppressors of the world. I don't have it on the screen, I'm sorry. The thing that we can glean from and, and, and challenge ourselves with is by the example of compassion Jesus had even on the oppressors of the world. So how this translates to us? How does this translate to us? Now, don't get me wrong. This doesn't mean that we don't seek justice and, and wrongs in this world. But also, as Jesus did here, we must view all people, all, as people that are loved by God and that God desires all to be saved and come to the knowledge of him. No one in the economy God, of God is exempt from being shown mercy, grace, and forgiveness. We put people into categories whether they're deserving of mercy, grace, or forgiveness. God does not. That's the challenge. Because we easily can, can put ourselves in this story, and like I brought up, we would might be like, don't help the Romans. And we feel super good about that. Yeah, I'm good. Look what they've done to us. How could we possibly help them? But Jesus kind of blows that thinking out of the water right now. It's not that he's disregarding what's been done. It doesn't mean that we too have to disregard justice and, and ending wrongs in this world. But I think the one of the challenges today is to, to really... I think balance, justice, righteousness, and holiness and be challenged to view all people the way Jesus did. Because remember, that's the heart of the gospel. The heart of the good news of Jesus is that all of us are sinners. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are undeserving of his forgiveness. All of us don't deserve to be saved. All of us don't deserve to be forgiven of all our disobedience. But what did God do? He sent his only son to die on a cross for you and I to forgive us and show us mercy when we were undeserving. Like that is the good news of Christianity. It's not that by works we've like become some, you know, up to a good standard and God's going to like accept us now. That's not Christianity. That's not the gospel. While we were yet sinners, that's when Christ died for us. While we were enemies to God, that's when he loved us. That, that's playing out right now with this Roman centurion. What did Jesus do? He didn't look at what he did and his deeds and his sin and his occupation. He didn't look at any of that. He said he's a person that's loved by God that deserves forgiveness and healing. I'm going to give it to him. That doesn't mean that he, you know, turned a blind eye and like... But do you see that? Do you see that? And I think in, in our world today, in any culture, at any time, at any time in history, we'll be challenged to, will we forgive that person? Will we love them? 
Will we extend forgiveness? Will we extend them grace and mercy? That's the challenge. That's number one. Number two of our application. The centurion's faith, or the centurion, uh, his faith, still believed in Jesus' power despite him not being near to the problem. Let me say it again because I didn't put it on the screen. I think there's something that we can glean from the centurion's faith because he believed that Jesus could move even when he wasn't proximate to the servant, to the problem. This is what I mean by that. This is why I think it's really relatable. Is that so many times, if we're honest, all of us, myself including, whether it be our feelings or our circumstances, circumstances, excuse me, often dictate our faith in God's goodness and his abilities. This is what I mean by that. Like, like if things are good in our life, we feel blessed, like things are going well, God is good. But if we don't feel like things are going well and we just don't feel like we're being blessed and things aren't working and I don't feel good, then I think we question if, God, are you, are you still good? Are you still there? Right? If we feel like, you know, God is near to us and I feel his Holy Spirit moving and, man, he just spoke to me. God is good. But then there are seasons when we're like, man, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't hear God. I don't feel his nearness. I don't know if he's moving. Is God good? All of a sudden, our feelings and our circumstances are changing what we view of God's character. And if we're honest, I think we do this like daily. Just to have a good day. It's going well. Got up. I'm not, I got good sleep last night. And I'm getting out the door, going to work. God's good. Then, like, you walk into work and you, like, spill your coffee. And you're like, oh, no. And then you open your email and there's, like, a drama email. And you're like, oh, God, why? Right? Like, we, we off, we, God, I thought you were going to bless this day. I thought, like, all of a sudden, like, our roller coaster of circumstances and feelings is like we're putting it on God. But the truth is, God's character, his heart, and his ability are not on the same roller coaster we are in. We're in this fallen world. God is not. We're fallible. God is not. Our emotions can sometimes be super up and down and perhaps distorted or out of whack at times, but God's are perfect all the time. And why I think that's relatable is, I think, I think why it ties into the story is the centurion didn't care about God's proximity. He didn't care about Jesus going to the house. He didn't care about any of that. He just said, you're God and you can do that, so do it. But if we were going to like look at our own life, I think we, uh, we like put God in all kinds of boxes <laughs> and all kinds of ways of like, he's good, he's not, mm, 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 you know, like that. So the challenge I have for us and what I believe would be an, an amazing takeaway from today is to think the best of God. 
to believe in the truth of his character, to trust in the promises of his word, especially when we don't feel like it. Especially when it doesn't feel like God is near. And I think what we can do is take this story as a reminder of God's character and his ability to move despite how we're feeling or despite if we feel near to him or not. Because again, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible said there's no shadow in his turning. As dark as the world gets or how good or bad we feel or how our circumstances, like life's good, life's not good. Job's good, job's bad. That doesn't change who God is. He is outside of time and space. To hold, to hold on to that, to walk in that, even this week, will radically change your life. Like to believe that God's character, he, he is good. And I think it's, I think it's, I don't think it's a coincidence, right, the, the, the old saying in, in, in church tradition there's a call and response that happens in more liturgical churches where you say, God is good all the time. Why do you think they need to be reminded of that? Because we so often forget that. And so I think the church literally had to build it into the liturgy of the service. Because this week, on Monday, you're like, God is good. But then what if Tuesday's bad? Do you, if you're honest, do you think, ah, oh, God's I wonder if God's, like, fully good. And I do think we struggle with God's perception and his intention for us, and we, we struggle a lot with, like, is God gonna... Like, we have these, I think, distorted views of who God is. And I think our circumstances really do so, too. So, I'm gonna stop talking. We're gonna enter in a time of worship. I wanna challenge us, even in this time of worship right now, to maybe even surrender, like, wrong ideas that we have about God. Perhaps it's just like asking God that we would walk in faith like this Roman centurion, believing that regardless of circumstance, that God is good. And I think in our world today, we need that. Like we need that more than ever to believe and trust and walk in that God is in control and he is good regardless of how I feel or how things are going. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time and this reminder that you are good all the time. And God, I'm the first one, along with I think probably all of us, to say, God, if we're honest, we, we doubt that sometimes. We question your motives. We question your intentions. But Lord, even in this time of worship right now, I pray that you would write our hearts that you would flood our hearts and minds with your goodness and your grace and your mercy. And that as we worship you, as we sing these lyrics and as we strum these chords, as we stand and sit and kneel, that we'd worship you for who you are and what you've done. And that you would realign perhaps Wrong ideologies, wrong ideas, wrong perceptions that we have about you. You are not against us. You are for us. You, you did not come to judge the world, but you came to die because you love it. 
God, you, you want abundant life now and eternal life later. You're a good God. You're a good Father. I pray that we would believe that and walk in these truths this morning. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.